Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. I love you if, I like you if, you are significant if. You see, that's the treadmill of worldly acceptance. We need to accept and love and receive and build up and give esteem to our children regardless. At the same time, this depends on how your children see you. When when your name is spoken, what do your kids think of? Maybe you're viewed as a critic. The truth is, kids are a lot like you. They need to be encouraged. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, Thou Shalt Encourage Your Children, where he shows you how to help the children you know confidently embrace who God created them to be. That's coming up next on The Winning Walk. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Thou Shalt Encourage Your Children. We're dealing with the Ten Commandments of Parenting. So many have said, oh, I wish I knew all that when I was still in the parenting business. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. If you've never been in the parenting business, you're now in the parenting business, perhaps one day you'll be in the parenting business or you'll be in the grandparenting business, How important is it to know God's principles, not mine, for bringing up children, able to give wise counsel, able to give insight, able to evaluate? So this is a relevant word for all of God's family in this place. Our scripture this morning is Matthew. Chapter number 20, beginning with verse 20 following. Matthew 20, 20 following. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to Jesus, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on the right and one on your left. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? But they said to him, We are able. And he said to them, My cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercised great authority over them? It is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be saved, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, speak clearly to us today. 
Let me get out of the way so that thy word and thy truth might be heard. We've heard so much. We've been to church so much. We've gone through the rituals and the emotions so much. But, O oh Lord, today give us reality. Give us a sense of urgency. As we look at the families in America, there's a brokenness there that only you can heal one by one. Begin your healing today, we pray, in Jesus' blessed and holy name, as I get out of the way and as he alone speaks. Amen. A prairie chicken saw an egg, sat on the egg. It hatched, but it wasn't a prairie chicken egg. It was an eagle's egg. And that little eagle was brought up with those prairie chickens, and that eagle waddled like they waddled and clucked like they clucked and ate garbage like they ate. And one day, the little eagle with the prairie chickens looked up and saw an eagle soaring in the sky, and sweeping through the heavens. And, and this prairie chicken family said, it's no use looking at that guy. That's an eagle. You'll never be like that. We're prairie chickens. And so that eagle lived his whole life looking up and longing to soar through the clouds, never realizing that all he had to do was to flap his wings and to fly. I want to ask all the parents here this morning, are you raising eagles or prairie chickens? That's a big question, isn't it? A lot of things are involved there. In our scripture, we see a mother. Did you hear carefully? By the way, the most important time of church is when the Bible is read. I hope you've picked that up by now. But in our scripture, it's an interesting thing. You read all the commentaries about this particular scripture. This mother who is unnamed in this passage actually has a name. You read other passages, you discover her name was Salome. And she's the only Salome in the Bible, by the way. And her husband was Zebedee, who was a well-known, prosperous fisherman. And we have this infamous story, as the scholars would tell us, when the mother went to Jesus and said, here are my two boys, James and John, two of your apostles, I want one of them to sit on your right hand and one on your left hand when you come into your kingdom. Sort of a pushy mom, wouldn't you say? <laughs> kind of a presumptuous mother. So everybody puts her down and says she's off base. And Jesus says very simply in this passage that, you know, positions in my kingdom is not mine to give. Those who want to become great, all you have to do is to serve, become a servant. Greatness comes through serving. And we're still trying to figure out how to be servant leaders, most of us. And then he goes on to explain his kingdom. You know, I think it's unfortunate we just put this woman in a category with these few verses of Scripture because I think she was a, some kind of special mother. You say, where do you get that? Well, first of all, Salome was one of the women who stayed at the cross when Jesus died. Also, you'll notice that Salome was one of the women who was first to go to the tomb when he was resurrected. 
Even though we might say she was a little pushy trying to find position for her boys, but isn't that just like a mother? What's abnormal about that? What's to be condemned about that? Actually, I want you to see she was ahead of the curve. There wasn't a lot of people running around the world saying, this itinerant carpenter rabbi is the Messiah. She saw who Jesus was. She was way ahead of the curve, right? That he would have a kingdom, that it would be prestigious for a boys to be on his right hand and his left hand. She was way ahead of the curve about her faith and her knowledge of prophecy and what was going on in the world, right? And what else do we see here? She saw in her son's VIP potential. She wanted her sons not to be prairie chickens. She said, my boy's eagles. I've raised eagles, not prairie chickens. You see it? I think that's important. And you can be sure, though she may have embarrassed James and John, this was some sort of encouragement because they got the message that Jesus was talking about. As apostles, what happened to James? What happened to John? James was the first martyr among the apostles who died for the faith. James, first martyr. John, arguably, is the most important man in the New Testament outside of Jesus. There are two men you could debate about being number one in the New Testament. That would be the Apostle Paul. That would be the Apostle John. Those are the two important men that God used in the writing of the New Testament and in the ministry of the early church. And John, after receiving the vision from heaven and revelation on the island of Patmos, died an old man a godly man who the Lord had allowed to see right into heaven itself. Eagles, right? Not prairie chicken. So, so we, we think about Salome and, and we condemn her here and we say, if you read these two verses, we see a pushy mom. That's all you see. But sometimes things are not quite what they seem to be. Did you know that? Sometimes things are not quite what they seem to be. Someone told me this week about a teacher and said this teacher, uh, you know, was so popular, the kids were always bringing her presents. And, and one day, a, a little girl came up there and had a present and said, teacher, can you guess what's in this box? Teacher said, oh, I think I know, it's flowers. She said, how did you know? How did you know? And she said, well, I know your dad has a florist. Next day, a little boy came up with a, box, with a box and said, Teacher, what do you think this is? This is a gift for you. And the teacher said, Oh, I believe it's a box of chocolates. And said, Well, how did you know? He said, Well, I know your dad has a candy store. Oh. The next day, a little girl came up with a box and, and said, Teacher, this is a present for you. You'll never guess what it is. And, and the teacher knew that uh, this little boy's dad had a liquor store and saw some liquid dripping out of the box. And she reached down and took her finger and and to the living, she said, oh, I know what that is. That's a bottle of champagne. Little girl said, no. She said, well, let me see. No, that's a bottle of wine. He said, no, it's a puppy. <laughs> Don't tell anybody you heard that in church. That's between us. But things are not always what they seem to be and what they appear to be. At first blush, 
you'd say Salome was out of bounds pushing her boys, but as you see, the total scope of her life, she was raising eagles, and James and John became eagles, not prairie chickens. And that's important, parents. I want to ask you something. If you have a teenager in your home, are you raising a teenager? I hope not. If you want an adult to come out of your home, you'd better be raising an adult. Part of you have the idea that when someone gets to be 20 or 21, oh, you're an adult now. Oh, no, 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 no. I know some teenagers who are 70. <laughs> yeah. Maturity is not a chronological thing. And if you keep saying to your teenager something like, oh, you're just a teenager. Oh, you're just a kid. You know, what can you know with my great... What do you want to have come out of your home? An adult or a perpetual teenager? Parents, it's important to realize that we are mirrors for our children. Our children, they look at you and they look at me and that's how they see themselves. And when they leave your home, if you have led them to an understanding and they have a personal faith in Christ and a relationship with Almighty God, whom they know accepts them and loves them forever unconditionally, number one, if they leave your home with that, and number two, they have a healthy self-image. You've done your job as a parent. They know God loves them unconditionally, and they're in a relationship with God through Christ, and they have a good, healthy self-image, and that's a part of our responsibility. Here's a guy named Mark. Mark was told by one of his teachers that he was dumb. His parents told him he was lazy. So he goes through life thinking he's dumb and he's lazy. Here is Sally. She was told as a young girl she had bird legs. And a boy told her to be careful if she took a shower, she might slip through the drain. And therefore, as she grew up, because of her bird legs, you know, she would never wear a bathing suit, she'd wear long dresses, and she was hung up on her appearance. And here's Bill, who was on the football team, the quarterback. He was so popular, and everybody loved him, and they had a winning record. And his identity was wrapped up in his success on that team. Let me tell you something. All three of these kids are in trouble. If they see themselves in the basis of being dumb and lazy, or they see themselves on the basis of my legs are too thin or too small, or they see themselves on the basis, I've got to keep throwing those touchdown passes in order to be somebody. You see, that's the treadmill of worldly acceptance. I love you if, I like you if, you are significant if. And that's what happens so many times to people who've had prominence in their life and they move through one phase to another phase, they can't accept the fact that they have to be an individual independent of who they are and what they accomplish and what their gifts are or what their gifts are not, that God loves them and they are accepted unconditionally. You see it? It's very, very important we understand that. So, things are not always what they seem to be, and make no mistake about it, parents, to a great deal, determines how we see ourselves even today 
whatever age you might be. Now, let's flip this over a little bit and ask the parents a question. We need to accept and love and receive and build up and give esteem to our children regardless. At the same time, this depends on how your children see you. When, when your name is spoken, what do your kids think of? Here's mom and dad. Well, what, what do they think of? Some parents, uh, maybe you're viewed as a critic. Would your parents say that? Would your kids say that about you, rather? And your name is, oh, that's the critic. That, that's mom the critic. That's dad the critic. James Dobson said, you have to say seven positive things about your sons and about your daughters before you even have the ability or should ever say one negative thing. Seven to one. You've got to have seven out of way to go, 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 before you can ever say, you'd better get your act together. How you doing, mom and dad? Seven affirmations. You build storage there. Out of way to go. Before one, get your act together. That is so important to build esteem into our sons and into our daughters. Instead, they see us as a critic. And we have them on the treadmill of success, and so many parents convey to their kids, that's not quite good enough. You make C's and D's, and your parents say, oh, oh you, 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 can make, you can make B's. Surely you can do that. So you work and you work and you make all B's and one C, and they say, oh, you still got a C. And you work hard and hard, and, and you make all B's, and you make one A, and they say, well, I knew you could do it. See, you couldn't make all A's. It's not quite good enough. And then you work and work and work one year, and you overachieve, and you make straight A's, and you run home with your report card, and your mom and dad says, you know, you had easy teachers this semester. Not quite good enough. Parents how easy it is to take the role of the critic. Your kids see you and they say, there, there's the critic. I mean, I'm holding on. I'm holding on. I love Charles Schultz and his cartoons and, and with peanuts. And I remember one, there was uh, Linus and, and uh, Lucy there. And Linus, the little brother, had drawn a cartoon and gave it to Lucy and said, Lucy, read this. Do you think it's funny? And Lucy read it and sort of smiled a little bit. And, and Lucy said, uh, who wrote this cartoon? And Linus threw back his chest and said, I did. And Lucy wadded up and said, well, it's not funny then. And she threw it down. And Linus reached down and picked up that cartoon, put the blanket over his shoulder and walked away. And the caption under said, Big sisters are the crabgrass on the lawn of life. <laughs> Parents, are you the crabgrass on the lawn of your children's life? Are you? Are you? How do you kids see you? The critic. Or maybe they see you as the blah. <laughs> just the blah. You're just present. 
And some parents never figure that out. They just go along and they just kind of play the game. And, but you're really not there. You, you passed out somewhere. In their eyes, you've already died. I mean, they, 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 you're just a blah. You're just a warm body. But they play the games. They, they go through a little somatics with you. But you're a blah to them. In my own life, my dad was a wonderful father when I was a kid. And he played with me and took me places. And, and I read only this week how, how we ought to to train and teach our children. I realized that's what my dad did with me. By the way, do you know how to teach your children? If you have a task to do, first of all, you and your child, you do that together. Together, let's do this. Then you back up and say, I want you to do it by yourself, but I'm going to watch. So first of all, we do it as parents. Then we do it with them. And then we let them do it by themselves while we watch. And then we let them do it absolutely by themselves and we don't have to be there. That's how you train kids. You do it, and they see it. You do it together. They're a part of it. And then you back up and watch them as they do it, and then they do it by themselves. That's training, isn't it? That's how you do it. My dad did that with me. I can tell numerous things. We went through that same regimen until I got to be a teenager. My, my dad was, was ill. I know that. But somehow, somewhere along the line, he withdrew or I withdrew. And I can remember from then all the way through, even when I was adult, until he graduated to be with the Lord, he was sort of a blah to me. I, I worked at trying to restore something, but he just didn't respond. A strong disciplinarian, always there. I knew that was right around the corner if anything went wrong, but a blah to me, a non-participant in my life, really. How do your kids see you? The critic, the blah. Or do they see you as the encourager? Isn't that great? I want to show you a passage of Scripture that's really important. Look, if you would, in Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4, verse 29. Ephesians 4, 29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. The word unwholesome there means rotten or spoiled. It's a picture of a fish that's been out in the sun for two or three days. You, you get the picture? It's a picture of, of fruit that's, that's rotten. Can you sort of smell? That's what an unwholesome word is. And we're not to let unwholesome words proceed out of our mouth. Whether it's profanity, whether it's overreaction, whether it's anger. And another verse, this same chapter 4 said, speak the truth in love. Doesn't mean we don't discipline. It's just how we say it how we articulate it, the tone of our voice. We are to speak the truth in love to one another and to our children so that no unwholesome word comes out of our mouth, not something that's spoiled or contaminated or polluted. You see it? And then look at the rest of that verse. But only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear it. The word edification means to build up. We are to use words that build up our sons and build up our daughters, and for that matter, build one another up. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what the church needs to be. We should want to go to this church and be in this church family and be here because we're going to be surrounded by people here who are building us up. 
This is a place of edification. Have you built up anybody today? Have you, have you reached out to someone here today you didn't know? Have you identified with someone? Have you touched them? Have you encouraged them? Have you listened to them? This is what koinonia is. This is what fellowship is. This is what the body of Christ is to be. And therefore, we should long to get here, to get with our brothers and our sisters and our family and all kinds of people who gather in this place. You see it? And therefore, kids need to long to get home because they know they're going to be built up. They're going to be encouraged. Encouraged. It's so important. I, I never will understand coaches. I think athletic coaches, they need to have many of them a brain transplant. If you are a coach of a little league or you coach anybody or teach anybody, I want you to listen to me right now. If somebody's playing basketball and their shot is off, you don't tell them, I'm going to take you out of the game if you don't start hitting that shot. That is so dumb. You say, you take good shots. Don't worry about it. It's going to go in the basket. I remember a coach telling me once way back, he said, boy, I like the way you hustle. He whispered it in my ear. Do you think I didn't become the hustlingest guy you've ever seen on that team? Absolutely I did. I've got a friend in Titusville, Florida. He tells a story about a junior high kid who was a troublemaker at school. I mean, he was solid trouble. Man, the principal would call his folks and his teachers would call his folks. And one day, a teacher and a principal asked his dad to come down to the school. His dad braced and said, oh, me, I don't know what's going to happen today about my boy. And he gets up there and there was a new teacher there. And this new teacher said, I want to tell you about your son. And she listed 10 positive things about this junior high boy who was in trouble a whole lot. But she listed 10 positive things about him. And so the dad said, well, what else? Now, now give me the other. She said, that's all I wanted to say. That father was astounded. He went home and told that son, he said, what did the principal say? What did the teacher say? And said, I want to tell you, they said this about you. Do, 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 do. Ten things. Do you want to guess what happened to that young man? Two weeks from there, he wasn't a troublemaker. He became an outstanding standing student and conduct and relationship and every year. Why? Hello? He received a little bit of encouragement. Parents, coaches, friends, neighbors, grandparents, encourage your sons and your daughters. Uh, you know, my wife is great at this. I remember when we were in the old sanctuary over there and and Ed was on our staff, and he was a young pastor. And in that time, we had a morning prayer, and someone would pray the Lord's Prayer, and we would pray the Lord's Prayer together. And I taught all of them on the staff to make sure they had the Lord's Prayer written in their Bible because you could even forget the Lord's Prayer. And, and they would write it in their Bible. And he was leading in prayer one Sunday morning. He prayed the prayer. He got the Lord's Prayer. He didn't write in his Bible, and he got messed up. Our Father who art in heaven his name is hallowed, uh, the bread. Is, uh, it was wild, <laughs> terrible. And the congregation sort of bailed him out as we prayed it, and he got through. And that time we walked off the platform, he went and sat down by his mother. Joe Beth reached over to him and says, 
Ed, your voice sounded so good today. <laughs> I killed him. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? Seven out of way to go for everyone you'd better get your act together. That is, if you want an eagle. But you may be a rare mom and dad who say, I'm going to bring up a prairie chicken. I don't know. It's your choice. So how do you do it? You accept your children. As Jesus Christ accepted us, as God accepted us, when did God accept you and me while we were yet sinners? He didn't say, get your act together and I'm going to die for you. Get your act together and I'm going to forgive you. He says, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Read in John 4 and John 8, the women caught in the act of adultery. Jesus didn't point his finger at them. He just says, I want to tell you about a new life you can have. He said, there's no man condemn you. I don't condemn you. He didn't condone, but he didn't condemn. He just loved and there's redemption and grace and new life. How important we understand the way God has dealt with you and the way God deals with me is through forgiveness and grace and a second chance. And that's the way we deal with our children. We accept them unconditionally. We build them up. That's the B. And we care for them. We keep them close to us. And to keep them close, you have to use every bone that's in your body. You have to use your wishbone. You have to dream with your kids. You have to dream with them. You use your wishbone to say, you know, where are you going to be next year? And, and what do you want to do when you grow? I mean, you've got to dream. Use your wishbone with your kids. Also, use your jawbone. Tell them stories as they pick up the culture of your life and your family, where you failed and where you succeeded according to their age category. Use your jawbone with your kids, see? Talk with them. Share with them. Teach them. Use your jawbone. Also, use your ankle bone. Walk with them. Go with them. Spend time with them. This is a part of staying close. Use your ankle bone with them and use your backbone. Know how to discipline, when to discipline, how to love constantly, and how to relate to them. Have to use your backbone, determination to bring up these little miracles. How do your children see you, mom and dad? The critic. <clears throat> blah. By the way, we'll talk about blah all next Sunday. That's a whole commandment in and of itself. So we just jumped over blah, but there's a lot more blah among parents than we want to admit. But blah. Or do they see you as the encourager? You accept them. You build them up. You stay close, A, B, C. Kurt Douglas, autobiography, The Son of the Ragman. Douglas tells a story when he was in high school, he had a part in a high school play. He had a singing part, a dancing part, a speaking part. He said he knew his mom would be there to see him, but he knew his dad wouldn't be there. His dad was cold and aloof rarely said anything to him that wasn't hard or stern or threatening. But he said in the middle of that play, he looked in the back of the room and Kirk Douglas said his dad was standing in the back. He said, I can't tell you how that thrilled me. 
he came to see me in the play. And he said when the play was over, he went to his father and he thought his father would say one word, just I'm proud of you, you did a good job, or just one word, but said his father was cold and aloof and said nothing to him, nothing about his performance. He said, but his dad did say to him, would you like to get a cone of ice cream? Douglas says, as I have put together all the achievements of my life, he said, I put that ice cream cone. It ranks ahead of my Oscar. I want you to meet somebody. Charlotte Morris plays in our orchestra. Charlotte, would you come here for a minute, please? Charlotte Morris came from a series of broken homes. She had five different fathers. She was adopted twice, four different mothers. She didn't know her real mother until she was 13 years old. I think she lived in Muleshoe, Texas. She'd been tossed from home to home and family to family. And Charlotte, you were 13, a significant adult entered your life. Tell us how it happened. Paul Pointer was my neighbor. He lived across the street and he saw what I was going through and began to encourage me in everything I did. He walked up to me on a daily basis and told me how good I was doing and offered his love to me and just encouraged me every way he could. And what about you? You, you had no, no Christian background. No, I didn't at that point. I was uh, a, a baby Christian. I had just started in the church and mm -hmm. he went to the church that my grandparents went to and he encouraged me to go all the time and get involved in the youth group. So that's what I did. When Charlotte was 17, uh, you moved to San Angelo? Yes, Sarah? I was in San Angelo. She, you was in Mew for to San Angelo, right? right. And she was 17. She worked times she was 15 to 17 in Wendy's. Is that right? She was 17. She moved out and she was on her own and supported herself. And she lived in sort of a discarded trailer of her brother. How big was that trailer? Big double wide? What was the size of it? It was eight foot wide. It was a single wide. All right, a single wide trailer. She's a senior in high school. She works at Wendy's, totally self-supporting herself. She continues to work and she comes to Houston and goes to school. It took her 11 years to get her undergraduate work at Houston Community College. And then because she was an excellent student, she was admitted for a master's degree program at the University of Houston, completed in two years, was called by God, and now she is the director in Houston for the Baptist Children's Home of Texas. Charlotte, Charlotte, wait a minute. I, I've got something for you. Paul Pointer gave you something, and I want to give you something, and that's real ice cream. Take a bite of it. Show them it's real ice cream. It really is. You want your sons, your daughters to be an eagle or a prairie chicken. If you want them to be an eagle, give them a whole lot of cones of ice cream. Parents, encourage 
your children. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.